0: That bumbling nincompoop, Donald Trump, who's a total rube and doesn't know anything and only accidentally became president anyway, just gave one of the top 10 speeches in presidential history at the United Nations. We will analyze the Donald's moral clarity. Then, Brett Kavanaugh is guilty until proven innocent, Michael Moore's movie bombs, Cruz gets run out of a restaurant, and the GOP is more popular than it's been in years. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, do we have a lot to get to today. Oh, is this just superb. Uh, I was up, you know, this speech wasn't that long ago. I watched the whole thing. I'm going to go through it. If you haven't seen it, we will go through it point by point. It was one of the great presidential speeches, which is why the UN audience (laughs) absolutely hated it. Before we get to that, we have to thank our wonderful sponsor. And, you know, I couldn't have watched this speech without them. I couldn't open my eyes in the morning without them. Black Rifle Coffee. National Coffee Day is coming up September 29th. You know what is going to be in my morning mug Black Rifle coffee mixed in with some nice little helping of leftist tears. Some people like cream, some people like 2% milk. I put in leftist tears and it's very delicious. Sort of an Americano. Uh, Black Rifle's Coffee Club makes things easy. You just pick your blend, the amount that you want. Black Rifle ships your coffee right to your door every month. You don't need to worry about it. You don't have to run out of coffee like I always would do, especially when I was single. Uh, It is great. It's roast to order, guaranteeing you fresh, delicious coffee with every order. I love these guys the most important thing, number one, is that they make excellent coffee. That's actually all I care about with my coffee, and they really, really do. After that, I love it because they, uh, you know, they're tied in with veterans causes, first responder causes. It's just great. It's pro-America. They've got a beautiful gun right on their their logo. It is great. Uh, Right now, visit blackriflecoffee.com slash C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Get 15% off your order. You will not regret it. It will become your favorite coffee, as it has mine. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Don't worry about, you know, all of that. those other coffee stores that look like homeless shelters now. <laughs> Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Let's get right into it. We don't have enough time to to dance around it here. President Trump at the United Nations General Assembly. I really, I know that people say that he is stupid. Even people on the right say this, that he's stupid, that he's a bumbling idiot. He just gets lucky or whatever. Maybe he's stupid, but the only argument against that is that he just keeps getting everything right. This speech was flawless. And you know how you know that is they laughed at him and they mocked him and they jeered him. And he even joked about it. Here is President Trump getting laughed at at the U.N.,
1: my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. So he
0: says, my administration has accomplished more than almost any other administration. Which is true. I mean, he had very low expectations to begin with, but everything has gotten better under his watch and in some cases better at record highs. Uh, Joblessness, the stock market, uh, foreign affairs have been handled very ably, protection of rights, expansion of freedom, deregulation. It's all going really, really well, but they laugh at him. Now, I was very impressed with President Kofefe here because typical President Kofefe would just like start, he would just turn around and moon the entire audience. He'd say like, screw you guys, who cares what you think? But he actually handled it with a little bit of charm. He said, oh, okay, didn't think I'd get that reaction here. That's okay. And then he launches into this speech. I don't know who wrote this speech. I suppose it could have been Stephen Miller. Apparently, he writes a lot of these great speeches. Whoever it was deserves an award. It got everything exactly right. The diction was beautiful. The priority of the prioritization of policy was beautiful. It just struck all the right notes at all the right times. So let's get into it. Here is President Trump on global governance to the UN itself.
1: Each of us here today is the emissary of a distinct culture, a rich history, and a people bound together by ties of memory, tradition and the values that make our homelands like nowhere else on Earth. That is why America will always choose independence and cooperation over global governance, control, and domination. I honor the right of every nation in this room to pursue its own customs, beliefs, and traditions. The United States will not tell you how to live or work or worship we only ask that you honor our sovereignty in return from Warsaw to Brussels to Tokyo to Singapore it has been my highest honor to represent the United States abroad you hear
0: that you hear they're not laughing now they're not they were just laughing oh ha 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 oh Donald ha 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 but they're not laughing now the first thing I want to point out because a lot of people on Twitter, the, all the headlines, all the news headlines are, President Trump gets laughed at at the United Nations. And they say, this is so embarrassing. This is, Consider who's laughing. Consider the people who are laughing. First of all, some of the most horrific countries on earth, Venezuela, Iran, those guys are like, Okay, they're laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Who else is laughing? People in the European Union. People whose defense we pay for. People that we're defending. Who else is laughing? People that we give money to in foreign aid. Who else is laughing? People who would take away the rights of their citizens and of citizens around the world to govern themselves. That's who's laughing. Great. I hope that, I hope those guys would laugh at me. I really hope they'll laugh at me. And they're not laughing now. When he gets into this, they're not laughing. This isn't going to be some fluffy eccentric speech. He is laying this out very clearly. The United States will resist global governments, global governance by bodies specifically like the United Nations and the International Criminal Court. And all, you know, there is a movement right now around the world, especially in Europe, to pull away from these supranational institutions and organizations that take away people's rights to govern themselves. Trump isn't using Trumpy language here. He's not using colorful language. He is getting right to the heart of it. and, And they are listening. So, he talks about the global governance. He stands up and, for all intents and purposes, says the UN is a dystopian fantasy—not that it's a wonderful, great, nice dream idea—that it's a it's a, a bad fantasy because it takes away the rights of people to govern themselves. And he he has the courage to go to the UN and, and say, for all intents and purposes, we oppose you. And then he gets into specifics because uh, the the way that this point of view is caricatured is that oh, he's an isolationist. The U.S. is going to retreat. It's going going to ignore the international community. The rest of the world is going to go forward. We're going to say, no, no, no. We're going to allow atrocities to happen. But this view, the view of this administration, whether it's Trump's view or not, it is now because he's articulating it, is that we, it's much more nuanced than that. Here, I'll let him explain it.
1: In this vein, we urge the United Nations led peace process be reinvigorated but rest assured, the United States will respond if chemical weapons are deployed by the Assad regime.
0: You hear that. It's not they can do whatever they want, oh, let Russia do whatever they want, oh, let Assad do whatever they want. No, it isn't that. He's saying the peace process in the UN wants to keep going on. That's We won't interfere with that. We're not going to make it our national Priority to rebuild a country in Syria or to institute regime change or to do any of these pie-in-the-sky Wilsonian endeavors in Syria. But there is a moral minimum. He said, look, you don't have to choose between total isolation and nation building. You can have a moral minimum here which says, we're gonna let this keep going on, we're going to uh, not impose, entirely impose from right above Western liberal democracy on Syria. But, but, if the regime in Syria uses chemical weapons in violation of international treaties, like a butcher in a bloodbath, we will intervene. We will intervene. I, we're not trying to intervene, but if you make us intervene, we will. We will insist upon a moral minimum in the international order. If you don't meet that moral minimum, we will take your country away. or we will at least hit you pretty hard. If you do meet that moral minimum, you can govern yourself in peace, unmolested by us. This is a nuanced view, and it's this is the steel man. This is the serious view that Trump's critics on the left and the right, the Wilsonians and the isolationists, uh, won't acknowledge, which is that there there is a middle ground that respect the sovereignty of nations. Then uh, he goes on into the refugees and this is where uh, th- this is where demagogues also on the left and the right want to hit him and this is where the
1: nuance of this position is so clear. And the people of Jordan and other neighboring countries for hosting refugees from this very brutal civil war. As we see in Jordan, the most compassionate policy is to place refugees as close to their homes as possible, to ease their eventual return, to be part of the rebuilding process. This approach also stretches finite resources to help far more people, increasing the impact of every dollar spent.
0: Notice the language. We appreciate people who are taking in refugees in neighboring countries, countries like Jordan or wherever, because this issue gets demagogued. They say, oh, if Europe will not allow itself to be flooded by young Muslim men from failed states who haven't been vetted from Syria, from Afghanistan, from wherever... Then, if you don't allow that, then you're not compassionate. Then you're wicked. Then you're evil. You're unChristian. You're unWestern. You're unliberal. You're on this. You're that. You're this or that. It's same thing in the United States. Barack Obama wanted to flood the country with refugees from Syria. It, we said, why do they have to come here? Why on earth would they go from Syria, pass through all the neighboring countries, get into? Uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, cross the Atlantic Ocean, go to the United States. Why is, how is that the solution? How are you unchristian if you think that maybe that's not the most efficient way to care for these people? Why? But th- there are vested political interests in making that happen. There are vested political interests by the left, by the advocates of World Federation, by the advocates of global governing bodies like the United Nations, who want that to happen because they want to erase, for all intents and purposes, national boundaries. President Trump is saying, No, I'm not going to let you call me anti refugee or anti compassionate or whatever. I think that these people should be taken care of. We should support efforts to take care of them. But it doesn't mean they have to flood countries that are thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. It doesn't make any sense. And he makes a good point there at the end. He said, There's nothing efficient about that. If we want our dollars, our charity dollars, to go as far as they can, help as many people as they can, why would we be? flying all of these people over to the United States or or going, you know, thousands of miles through Europe when we could help them in neighboring countries. And then he he strikes that point home. He says they need to be in those neighboring countries so that they can rebuild their country when the civil war is over. And he's calling their bluff because all the the pro-immigration, pro-refugee people say, look, where else are they going to? Their countries are under attack. They just need it. They're refugees. They just need a temporary place to go. Well, okay, but if they're going to go uh, to a temporary place, why bring them to America? It's much harder to get back. W- of course, what their real purpose is, is to bring them all to the West, bring them all to the United States, have them become American citizens in large numbers, and uh and d- disregard the will of the American people, whether or not they want that many refugees, that many unvetted people, that, those, that culture that comes from a war-torn area to come to the United States. Oh, you can't do that. And they demagogue on the issue, and they say, if you don't permit that, then you're, you, you're not living up to your own values, which nobody else lives up to, but also you're, you're uh, unchristian, those values that undergird our, our civilization. You know, uh, you know, cardinals, bishops have said this. You have to welcome all of the refugees. Welcome all of the refugees. And President Trump is being very nuanced here. He's saying, we would like to help them. We want to help them in the way that is best suited for their interests and for their nations and for their countries. And what does the left say to that? They have nothing that they can say to that. It totally exposes the lie, which is that it's not about helping refugees from a particular civil war. It's about transforming the makeup of Western countries in the United States. Uh, Then he gets into uh, Iran. Now, you know, Barack Obama made Iran the pinnacle of his foreign policy. He was willing to give away everything he had and a lot of things that he didn't have to secure the Iran deal, which for all intents and purposes put Iran on the path to get a nuclear weapon. President Trump singles out Iran. But the reason he singles out Iran is not just because they're bad guys, although they are bad guys. It has everything to do with the nation state, with nationalism, with the international order. Here's him calling out Iran.
1: Every solution to the humanitarian crisis in Syria must also include a strategy to address the brutal regime that has fueled and financed it. The corrupt dictatorship in Iran. Iran's leaders sow chaos, death, and destruction. They do not respect their neighbors or borders or the sovereign rights of nations. So listen to that. They don't respect borders. They don't respect the
0: sovereign rights of nations. He points out that they're bad guys and they're brutal and they're all of this. But there are a lot of brutal regimes around the world. There are plenty of brutal regimes, and over the course of history, brutal regimes are the norm. They're not the exception. So what makes Iran so awful is that Iran undermines the international order and the system of nation states that we've had for 350 years. Iran has always done this since the Iranian revolution decades ago. They try to keep one foot in the international order and one foot out. So they'll speak at the United Nations. They'll send their... Uh, heads of state to speak at Columbia University. They have different agreements with other countries. They'll sign on to fake treaties with the United States under Barack Obama. They'll demand money. They'll demand to be treated as though they're serious players in the international community. And then they'll fund Hezbollah. And then they'll fund Hamas. And then they'll fund this. And then they'll fund this. And then they'll fund, and then they'll fund that. And they'll fund terrorists all around the world. The largest state sponsor of terror around the world. And, uh, undermining the, the boundaries of other countries. Uh, really fighting with us during the Iraq war. Uh, Why would we tolerate this? Why could we tolerate this country having one foot in and one foot out? Either you're in to the system of nations or you're out of it. We've had the system of nations now for 350 years. We'll explain that and explain why it's so important in a second because President Trump concludes his speech with a rousing call to defend it. But even institutions like the United Nations in many ways undermine this by tolerating countries like Iran by tolerating supranational institutions that uh, remove the sovereignty of independent nations. So he's calling them out for that. People shouldn't get confused. He's talking about Syria and he says, you know, you better watch out Assad because uh, we'll get you if you'd cross a line. But he really singles out Iran as being wrong per se, as being unfit for the world order per se. And it's because of how they behave with regard to nationalism. Then, lest you think that he's only beating up on foreign affairs in the Middle East, only tackling the most complex issues of the last decades. Then he defends his stance on trade, and I hope that conservatives listen to this.
1: For decades, the United States opened its economy, the largest by far on earth, with few conditions. We allowed foreign goods from all over the world to flow freely across our borders, yet Other countries did not grant us fair and reciprocal access to their markets in return. Even worse, some countries abuse their openness to dump their products, subsidize their goods, target our industries, and manipulate their currencies to gain unfair advantage over our country. Beautiful, because a lot of
0: conservatives now are saying Donald Trump is anti-free trade. There's nothing in that statement that makes him sound anti-free trade. He's not saying that the problem was that we opened up our markets to foreign goods. He's saying the problem is we didn't get their markets in return, which is what uh, people who have been defending this policy of threatening tariffs have been saying uh, for a while, which is that this is, we, we never had free trade. We never had really free trade before. Free trade is a wonderful thing, but people are not playing by the rules. Just to take China alone, they steal our intellectual property. They uh, manipulate their currency. And this is not something that Donald Trump just started talking about. I was on John Huntsman's campaign in the early days of that campaign in 2012. And he was a a hardliner. He was running in many ways like a Tea Party candidate. And he was saying, we need to force China, about which he knew a lot because he was the uh, ambassador to China, He said, we need to force them to stop manipulating our currency and and stealing our IP. Now, President Trump is actually following through on this, putting a lot of pressure on China, and conservatives are attacking him. But previously, before the Trump era, there was widespread agreement on this from virtually all flanks of the Republican Party, from the conciliatory, nice tone, you know more elite end of the party all the way to the populist end. There was a, a consensus that you need to force people to play fairly on trade. Now they're attacking him as though he doesn't know anything about economics, though the strength of our economy right now would seem to suggest maybe those experts are the ones who are mistaken. This is such an important point. And it, it also points out that, first, the logic of the the trade war and the the trade threats, It should be simple to everyone, but I will spell it out. We say tariffs are always wrong. Don't ever institute any tariffs. Don't ever retaliate against tariffs. One of the main arguments against tariffs is that they will start a trade war. But why will they start a trade war? Because it is expected that rational nations, when they have tariffs imposed on them, when they have unfair trade conditions imposed on them, will respond in kind. But if if tariffs are always, in every case, there's no use for even threatening tariffs, then why would that be the case? The the argument for tariffs, or the, the argument rather against tariffs, undermines the argument against threatening tariffs or against trying to play fairly. And the way he articulated that is beautiful. He didn't get up and say, we're never doing trade with any other countries. We're making everything here. Screw you, rest of the world. He didn't say that at all. He said, you've got to play fair. And he said it right to their face, right in the General Assembly. Then we move on to the John Bolton of it all. I was waiting for President Trump to rip his mask off, to show that giant walrus mustache and, you know, have put the glasses on in the big glass ring and just have John Bolton screaming at them. Did you miss me, boys? Did you miss me? It's been a while, huh? He takes on the international criminal court. Here it is.
1: For similar reasons, the United States will provide no support and recognition to the International Criminal Court. As far as America is concerned, the ICC has no jurisdiction, no legitimacy, and no authority. The ICC claims near universal jurisdiction over the citizens of every country, violating all principles of justice, fairness, and due process. We will never surrender America's sovereignty to an unelected, unaccountable global bureaucracy. America is governed by Americans. We reject the ideology of globalism and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Around the world, responsible nations must defend against threats to sovereignty, not just from global governments, but also from other new forms of coercion and domination.
0: Beautiful. What this does, the United States didn't have to articulate this policy. John Bolton articulated it. And uh, spelled out what the State Department was going to do about it a few weeks ago at the Federalist Society. He said, The ICC is dead, the International Criminal Court, which is going to go in and try to prosecute American soldiers. They're dead to us. We will take every action against them that we have to take. But President Trump chose to under, underline this today at the UN. That's beautiful because it means that it has the support not just of the wonks and the State Department, whatever. It has the full support of the President of the United States. It's the official policy of the President. Uh, George Bush. Uh, When he was president, uh, talked about this as well, pulled us out of uh, talks for the ICC. And Donald Trump is underlining that beautiful thing. And he says, we will pursue a policy of patriotism. We will not submit to this. Submit is the key word because I think a lot of people on the left, they think, oh, the ICC sounds great. Oh, there's, a, there's an international, supranational body hovering above us all, and they're gonna hold everyone to justice, all the bad guys around the world. Why wouldn't we support that? The United Nations. It's, it's united. It's united. Why would you what? You don't want to be- you want to be divisive? You wanna be the divisive nations? Oh, it's so nice. Ooh, the European Union, their union, oh yeah. To whom are these international organizations accountable? To whom? To you, the voters? To you, Americans? To you, the people who hold our values and have our culture and believe what we believe? Or are they responsible to Venezuela? Or are they responsible to North Korea? Or are they responsible to Iran? Or are they responsible? Who, to whom are they responsible? To what ideas? You know, different countries have different ideas. Different cultures have different ideas. Which ideas are going to govern them? And what recourse will you have against them if they start treating you unfairly? If they start targeting you? If they start oppressing you? No recourse whatsoever. Who votes for the United Nations? Do you get to vote? You don't get to vote. No, absolutely not. But we demand as citizens of this country that we have the right to govern ourselves. That's how we run our country. That's the way it is. Donald Trump is underlining that, and he's exposing the shallow saccharine sentimentality of these international bodies for what it is. Then he gets to the heart of it. One of the main central issues of his campaign, and one of the central issues uh, pushed by the pro-international, pro-imperial bodies like the United Nations, immigration.
1: We Recognize the right of every nation in this room to set its own immigration policy in accordance with its national interests. Just as we ask other countries to respect our own right to do the same, which we are doing. That is one reason the United States will not participate in the new global compact on migration. Migration should not be governed by an international body unaccountable to our own citizens.
0: Absolutely right. Because if immigration is governed by that, then you don't have a country. Because, when, because the point of immigration in self-governing countries and democratic republics such as we have is that they make the laws. So the country who controls immigration for a democratic republic controls the country. That's how it works. You flood it with enough people who think a certain way, they're going to elect a government and you don't have any power. That's the way it is. Maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe you know, they'll all start voting for republicans, but maybe they won't. And very likely the, any immigration policy that would affect uh, that probably won't happen. As a Catholic, this does present an interesting point which is that the the system of nations, the Westphalian system, is largely a product of Protestants. It happened at the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648 because the Catholics could not reclaim empire, the Spanish empire, the Holy Roman empire. They couldn't reclaim it. Ironically, it was affected by Catholic Cardinal Richelieu of France. In many ways, he was was the guy who ensured that uh, six or seven years after his death, the Westphalian system would go into place. But Now we find ourselves defending that system. Why is that? Because who are these empires accountable to? If they were accountable to God, if they were Catholic empires, they were accountable to God himself, maybe I could get behind it. But to whom is the UN looking for spiritual and political and moral guidance? God only knows. God help us if we get that answer. Or the International Criminal Court or wherever. You can't trust any of these international bodies. Trump says that exactly right. And if you control immigration... If an, if an outside force controls immigration into a country, it controls the country, as long as that country holds Western values, which coincidentally all of our countries do. Then he hits Venezuela specifically, just to remind you that a lot of people in this room are dirty,
1: rotten scoundrels. Currently, we are witnessing a human tragedy as an example in Venezuela. More than 2 million people have fled the anguish inflicted by the socialist Maduro regime and its Cuban sponsors. Not long ago, Venezuela was one of the richest countries on earth. Today, socialism has bankrupted the oil-rich nation and driven its people into abject poverty. Virtually everywhere socialism or communism has been tried, it has produced suffering, corruption, and decay. Socialism's thirst for power leads to expansion, incursion, and oppression. All nations of the world should resist socialism and the misery that it brings to everyone. I don't think Trump's a real conservative,
0: do you? I don't think, he's not a real conservative. He's like a big lefty. He's not a real conservative. I mean, he just gave a speech that would make Ronald Reagan blush, but he's not. He's probably not a real conservative. I, I wish that they could cut for reaction to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when he just goes after socialism. And make no mistake, he's hitting socialism abroad. He's hitting Venezuela. He's hitting these awful socialist countries. But he is hitting the Democrats who have embraced socialism, who are running over 40 candidates formally identified with the Democratic Socialists of America this year. And he's saying socialism is misery. It's awful. Cut to Ocasio-Cortez. I'm not the expert. I'm not really the expert on any, I know you're not the expert. So he hits socialism really hard because it's awful. It's terrible. National socialism is awful. You know, the Nazis, international socialism is awful. The uh, USSR and democratic socialism is awful. It's insidious. It's evil. There's no argument for it. It's very bad. It's a little slower. It's more gradual. It's more pernicious. It doesn't seem as awful up front, but it is the exact same poison. The, The gospel of Envy, the philosophy of failure, as as Winston Churchill said, just terrible. Why is that? Because eventually, it's a contradiction in terms. The reason that it's a con—it's not. It's certainly the case that you can elect socialists. You can elect, as a free people, to have uh, socialist programs, to have uh, an ever-increasing government controlling more and more of your lives. But you can't remain democratic for very long, because of a, a problem of human nature, which is. The, the more power you give to these corrupt institutions, the, the less recourse you're going to have. A government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything that you have. This has always been the case. Socialism has failed and bred misery and slavery everywhere that it's been tried. In some cases that has progressed more slowly. In some cases it's been very, very fast, but we've seen it everywhere. The American left has never apologized for it. They continue to embrace it and Trump is smacking it down. It's beautiful and delightful. Finally, he brings it home uh, with a note on patriotism that is very beautiful. Donald,
1: take us home. We must defend the foundations that make it all possible. Sovereign and independent nations are the only vehicle where freedom has ever survived. Democracy has ever endured. Where peace has ever prospered. And so we must protect our sovereignty. And our cherished independence above all.
0: Absolutely beautiful. I have one little criticism of that bit, which is he talks about uh, peace prospering only in the nation states. He's half right, but he's half wrong, because there has been peace before. You can have, as Ronald Reagan said, you can have peace in two seconds, which is to say the word I surrender. If you say I surrender, you'll get peace in two seconds. Slavery is peace, it's peaceful for a little bit. There was peace in the Roman Empire. There have been peace in other empires. Peace in parts of the British Empire. There have been a lot of empires in the world. A lot of since antiquity empire the natural inclination of man is empire. As Yoram Hazani, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, talks about, the Bible calls out the nation of Israel to be a nation and to be a light of, to other nations. God speaks to Israel says be a nation, don't be an empire, be a nation. We are a nation. The modern system of the world is represents nation states. And nations might not always be totally peaceful, but they will be free. Now, President Trump, look, it sounds nice to say peace prospers. And it is true, by the way, if your government is oppressing you, there's a certain peace to that, but there's a certain violence to that too. There's actually a certain constant violence to that too. But the speech was superb. The nation state is the only vessel for freedom and prosperity. He's absolutely right. It's true materially. It's true spiritually. It's true Uh, politically in in this day and age. Perhaps at some other time, uh, the world wasn't in that position, but right now that is the case. There is no good empire to which I would give my sovereignty. A wonderful speech. It's his best speech since Warsaw. That was another wonderful speech of his and probably written by the same guy, touched on a lot of the same themes. Really, really good. He should give more of these. just Excellent. They say that he's a nincompoop. He doesn't read. He doesn't know anything. He talks about Stormy Daniels. He goes and sees porn stars. I don't care, Donald. Take all the porn stars you want. If you give speeches like that and you give it to the rest of the world like that and you defend American freedom like that, have them all. Take the, every, every penthouse pet, every playboy of the month. I don't care. Wonderful. And the media are going to report this like a bunch of fools, which is what they are. They're going to say he got laughed at. That's going to be the headline that you see. But you saw that speech. You heard those statements. It's a beautiful thing. It's what we stand for as Americans. And uh, we should defend it tooth and nail. By the way, at the end of that speech, at the end of that speech, I wish I had the clip. He, he ends it by saying, by thanking the glory and goodness of God and says to all in in those words, and then says to them, God bless you all. Because what he is saying is that our st- system of nations. Our respect and desire for human freedom is based on the God that created us and not just any vision of God, not some little devil God that some guy out there believes in, but the true, the one and true God on which this international order is based. Beautiful, wonderful statement. They say he's a lapsed Presbyterian who doesn't go to church. Doesn't really bother me. Doesn't bother. Maybe it bothers him. Maybe he should talk to his God about that. But if he is speaking so bluntly, so clearly, and so uh, precisely about our nation states, about our country, ab- about the values that our country is based on, and the God who gives us those values, Mwah. More power to him. Wonderful speech. We got a lot more to get to. Unfortunately, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Ironically, it's National Voter Registration Day. <laughs> Give you some thoughts on that. And uh, I, I don't think it's ironic. I guess it's coincidental that President Trump is defending the right of nations to govern themselves. Uh, then we've got to talk about Brett Kavanaugh, who's guilty until proven innocent. We've got that wacko from Hawaii, Maisie Hirono. Cruz gets run out of a restaurant and some good news. I'll leave you on some good news. By the way, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, folks. I'm flying over to Ohio to talk to all of the brilliant students at Franciscan about the simple joys of being right if you're in the area maybe I'll see you there if not hopefully we'll be able to get it online or something like that uh, that's going to be the first speech in my young America's foundation tour uh, Cofefe on campus which is coming to a school near you hopefully if you'd like if you'd like to bring a little Kofefe to your campus go to yaf.org and you can request that I come give a speech there if you're not on dailywire.com go do it Freedom isn't free, folks, and neither is dailywire.com. So spend 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew reclaiming you get the venture peer show, you get questions in the mailbag, which I will be answering coming up this week. Get your questions in. That doesn't matter because you get... The UN vintage baby leftist tears, and you better get it now soon because uh, there. Are, I think there are already plans in place to build the Donald Trump presidential library on the bulldozed ruins of the UN building on the east side of Manhattan. So make sure you get your leftist tears UN vintage tumbler soon because uh, you know that pretty soon they're going to be gone, and you're not going to get any of that salty deliciousness. Go to DailyWire.com. We'll be right back. It's National Voter Registration Day. This is a fake holiday that was invented in 2012, but it's a wonderful coincidence because Trump just gave an entire speech about how you vote. You get to determine the course of your country and some jokers at The Hague or in Brussels or at the United Nations don't get to do that for us. I would like a little public service announcement for National Voter Registration Day. Please listen closely. Well, if you're listening to this show, this won't be a problem, but tell your friends. If you do not know anything about or have any stake in history or the government or the public debates of this country, don't vote. Don't vote. Don't vote. Don't. There's nothing good about voting if you don't know anything. It's actually bad to vote if you don't know anything. Do not do it. If you have no stake in the country, if you don't like the country, if you don't like your countrymen, don't vote. Don't vote. That's a bad idea to vote then. Why would do you remember a few years ago when Puff Daddy did that campaign of like, vote or die, because I'm going to kill you if you don't vote. <laughs> don't worry. He's old now. He's not going <laughs> to hurt you anymore. Don't vote. If you do know something, go vote. And don't forget, guys, don't forget. Uh, Election Day is coming up. Election Day is coming up this November. If you, If you're a Republican, Election Day is this November. If you're a Democrat, Election Day is in December. So mark that on your calendar, circle December. You say, I got to go vote in December. I don't want to miss it. And if you're, and then close your ears for a second. If you're a Republican, it's in November. It's, it's, don't, don't listen to what I just, it's November. Um, just a little PSA for National Voter Registration Day. Okay. Brett Kavanaugh, that dirty, rotten, murderous, genocidal, rapist, maniac, NBC told me, is guilty until proven innocent. So this is what they've all been saying. They've been saying a bunch of not a bunch, really, just a few of these democratic activists who say that a guy who looked like Brett Kavanaugh walked by them in 1942. uh, And they're saying that he's unfit for the court because of that. The ones who are making these absurd sexual allegations that have no corroboration whatsoever, that people who are called witnesses in them have denied and said they don't exist. Uh, The stories have been changing year over year. Women have been changing their stories coming out of the woodwork. Brett Kavanaugh has solid defenses for all of these things. The left is saying he's guilty until proven innocent. Here is MSLSD. I believe isn't that, isn't that what Rush calls? Them? No, he calls it PMS NBC. That's even. Uh, in any case, MSNBC speaking to the senator from Hawaii, Maisie Hirono. Here they are. Do you believe that Brett Kavanaugh should deserve or does deserve the same presumption of innocence? And your response was that you put his denial in the context of everything you know about him in terms of how he approaches his cases. I'm sure you're aware that uh, in conservative circles, there is some outrage, some anger at your comment. Well, listen to that. Did you hear that? She said, <laughs> "She said, yeah, you know, so you said that he's guilty until proven innocent. And oh, I can't even believe we have to talk about this. But in certain conservative circles, they think it's bad to be guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> dummies. No, our country is founded on the basis. Our country depends upon the basis that you are innocent until proven guilty, not the other way around. And listen, but MSNBC's lady, I don't know her name, is talking to Senator Hirono as though this were weird. She's actually admitting that only conservatives have standards of justice. (laughs) And then the left, like, yeah, we we would bulldoze all of them if we got into power. And then listen to Maisie's response.
1: Do you believe Judge Kavanaugh does
0: deserve a presumption of innocence or not? Look, we're not in a court of law. We're actually in a court of credibility at this point. And without having the the, uh, uh, FBI report or some semblance of trying to get corroboration, we are left with the credibility of the two witnesses. Corroboration of what? Did you just hear what you said? You said... We, so she made this fake dichotomy. We're not in a court of law. We're in a court of credibility, which is a, which a court of law is a court of credibility, right? So it's just one of those things. That politicians of both sides do this, where they say like country over party. You're like, right, I'm in the party to help my country, dum-dum. It's the same thing. They're not dichotomies. But, uh, but she, so she says that, whatever, fine. She's a politician. But then she says, you know, look, without any corroboration of these bogus, ridiculous claims that are being refuted left and right by everybody named in them, We've just got to believe the accusers. No. So the way it works, Maisie, is if you don't have corroboration, then you don't believe the accusations. Then you don't believe the accusers because there's no corroboration for them. Uh, Does she know what corroboration means? Does she know what credibility means? She she uses these words and she has no idea what they mean. By the way, is it not a miracle? It's probably because he's at the UN and he's distracted, but uh, that the president has not started calling her Crazy Maisie. Her name was built for a Trump nickname and she's like the only person that doesn't have one yet. I am sure by the time this show airs today he'll already be calling her that. Uh, Really outrageous, but they're being honest. Good on them for being honest, which is saying we want to bulldoze standards of justice. We don't support the rights of the accused, especially if they're old white guys or middle-aged white guys in the case of Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, We don't want any of that. Uh, Good. That's Okay. That's what they're offering up in in November. And and this isn't going to play very well for them. Um, Did you see what happened to Ted Cruz at that restaurant last night? Here, just very quickly, Ted Cruz and his wife were sitting at a restaurant. They were having, you know, a nice dinner. And then a bunch of Mainstream Democrats came in and behaved as mainstream Democrats are behaving in 2018.
1: We believe survivors. We believe survivors. We believe survivors. We believe survivors.
0: We believe
1: survivors. Fado is way hotter
0: than you do.
1: We believe survivors. We believe survivors. We believe survivors. God bless you, me Let my wife through. We believe survivors.
0: We believe survivors, except for Karen Monahan and Juanita Broderick and all the others, if they were abused by Democrats. But we believe random people who come out of the woodwork when Brett Kavanaugh, a virgin until after high school, is up for the Supreme Court. That was, that was too long, so they had to change it to we believe survivors. But they don't believe... <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish I could say that these were wacko lefty lunatics. It's not. They're not. They're not all of these. This was the top trend on Twitter yesterday. We believe survivors. N- none of these women, by the way, have, have a- accused anyone of rape. No, not, not even like the wackiest expl- uh, uh, accusations have involved rape. But that's what they say. We believes so, or we believes. So. Okay. So they chase him out of this restaurant. And... and uh, There's this guy on Twitter, he's a transgender activist named Charlotte Clymer, who said, he tweeted out, he said, well, you know, Beto O'Rourke has never gotten chased out of a restaurant. Yeah, because his opponents aren't hysterical children like the Democrats are. Right, That yeah, we don't do that. I'm very proud to say we don't do that. (laughs) But this is, so they scream at Ted Cruz and all. This is not going to play well. We have so much more to get to, but unfortunately we're running late, so I will skip to this point because, uh, you know, a lot of us are wondering how all of this is going to affect the midterm elections, which are coming up. Again, Democrat, they're coming up in December, and close your ears for a second, and Republicans, they're coming up in November. Uh, So how is this going to affect the election? Uh, According to Gallup polling, which leans left, it's not a right-wing polling firm, The GOP is more popular than it's been in seven years. You wouldn't know that if you just listened to those shrieking little children uh, at the restaurant. You wouldn't know that if you were listening to MSNBC or reading the New York Times or the Washington Post or blah, 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 blah. But the GOP, the Republican Party, not even just Trump, who's also doing well, but the GOP is the most popular it's been in seven years. They've made, uh, so the favorability is 45%. Democrat favorability, according to Gallup, is 44%. The, the Republicans are more favorable, more favorably viewed right now than Democrats. This this is up for Republicans from. 36% last year. This is a major gain. So, by the way, since 2008, since, since the election of Barack Obama, Democrats have almost always rated higher and often significantly higher in favorability than Republicans. Now, you would say now, a lot of people watching the news would say now Republicans have they've never been less popular. Oh, it's all awful. It's going to hell in the handbasket. No way. Republicans are historically popular. You won't read about it in the New York Times. You won't see it on NBC, but it's true. There have been major gains in the last few months. Oh, but what about Stormy, Kavanaugh, whatever, Mueller, whatever? Oh, it really should have declined, right? No, it hasn't. Uh, Part of the reason for that jump is that the GOP right now is more likely to view their own party favorably, but uh, the Democrats' view of the GOP has not declined. It hasn't diminished. A lot of people say, yeah, well, okay, the GOP Republicans might be viewing their own party more favorably, but they're totally losing Democrats and people on the fence. Not true. That's not reflected in Gallup polling. Democrats view the GOP and the Democrat and their own party, the Democrats, in exactly the same way as they did. Uh, the GOP has seen a jump among people of all economic groups and especially middle-class income earners. Why is that? Because they've managed the economy very, very well. This is very good news. It tells me not to believe the polls very much because... Uh, the, the the generic election polls uh, f- for instance one because there's no such thing as a generic candidate people are voting for their own candidates and because a lot is not reflected when when you inject trump into questions a lot of numbers get skewed and also you know when you call different when you call up different people polling has has had a number of crises in the last years because of methods of collecting information but these numbers in so much as we can look at the polls these numbers are, are really pretty good, and if President Trump keeps going up there and offering a choice, not an echo, not being Democrat light, not being UN light, not but going out there and going after them and defending American interests, which are in the interests of the world, for America to follow American interests, uh, I could see great popularity. I could see being surprised in November because it, it's true historically. We should lose the House. Maybe we will lose the House, but. I, I could see a real surprise. Now, if they back down, if the Democrats go squishy, if Chuck Grassley doesn't hold this damn vote, if, uh, if Republicans cave, I could see a blue tidal wave coming and taking us all. The choice is up to our elected officials, uh, but at least one of our elected officials today handled himself very, very well. Okay, that's our show. i got to get out of here. I won't see you tomorrow unless you're in Ohio. Then I will see you. I look forward to going out there. In the meantime, I am Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I will see you again on Thursday. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal, Executive producer, Jeremy Borey. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing, 2018.